to the greatest people on earth, that is you. Man, I love y'all. Yeah. I don't know, like, everybody's different, right? Everybody has their own uh, preferences and feels and vibes and whatever, but it just feels fun in here to me. That's how it felt this morning. There's a really, really good energy. Uh, I really appreciate um, our, our team, uh, this praise team that puts so much into leading us into worship. And so I just love y'all and appreciate y'all. You probably can't even hear me. Um, yeah, you guys are great. And then if you'll do me a favor, um, I, would, would you also just show your appreciation to every serve team member in this church? You guys are unbelievable. Thank you all so much for what you do. Yeah. I tell the team um, as often as I can, and some of them are probably going to be like, I've never heard you say that, but I say it. I promise. I say it. But I tell the team as often as I can that the, that the dream that God put in my heart is totally impossible without them. Just completely impossible. And so all the people that uh, participate and contribute into this church... I deeply appreciate it. Even those that just show up on a Sunday, like you matter too. I mean, it, I, I, I tell people like I've preached um, to myself before, uh, and it's better when you're here. <laughs> it's a little more interactive and fun, but I just appreciate it. If you're new to our church, uh, first of all, welcome. I, I got to meet a few new people this morning and talk with them. And so just first, welcome to our church. Love having you. Uh, I want you to know that we try to be as chill and genuine and real as we possibly can. Uh, I hope that you discover uh, real authentic people. I want you to know that we're very just everyday, normal pedestrian folks. Uh, we are not unique or special other than Christ Jesus is our king, and that's the thing that sets us apart, right? Uh, so anyway, we just want to welcome you and just say I hope you feel as at home as possible. The welcome mat, as my uh, good friend and mentor Charlie often says, the welcome mat's at the door, right? So come on in and just participate. My name's Josh, and I have the privilege to serve as the lead pastor here, and so uh, I'm excited about bringing the word today we're in a message series that we've been calling The Blueprint. If you've been enjoying The Blueprint, would you just give a little, like, like a whoop or something, whatever you do? Yeah. Um, if you've not participated in uh, the prior weeks of the series, here's what I would like you to know, that I do my very best to make the messages be able to stand alone. So, so hopefully today will serve you even if you haven't had the prior weeks. But I would say this, I would say this. If this church is your home, if this church is, you think, to become your home, I, I honestly think it would be worth your time, it would be an investment, not a spend, to go back and see every installment of this series. I believe that God is doing a unique work in our church, and I believe that he is doing that work through this series. And so we've been uh, in a verse-by-verse -verse study of Matthew chapter 16, the words of Christ Jesus. We're going to get into that today. Uh, and so we've been picking this thing apart verse-by-verse uh, verse and just seeing what is Jesus trying to teach. And here's the big idea that we believe in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus lays out the blueprint. Like, hey, you want to follow me? It looks like this. And so this is what we've been unpacking. If you're ready, say ready. ready. And we're going to go a little bit deeper today. By the way, all the verses will be on the screen. Uh, it's also available uh, in the events section of the YouVersion Bible app if you have that. So you can take your own notes and put your own little additions in there or whatever. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start where we've started every Sunday. and that, We're going to start in verse 13. Here's, here we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, the, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man often. It was prophetic and speaking to uh, who he was as the Messiah. So he asked the question, what, what do people say about me? Who, who do people say that I am? Well, 
They replied, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And just so that you know, that's like real complimentary things that they're saying. Like essentially, the disciples reply with, you got a really good reputation. People think you're pretty cool. But what Jesus understands is like, that's not who I am. And so he asked the next question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who was always bold and willing to say stuff, even when it was wrong and stupid. Come on, how many of you guys have been like Peter before? Peter would just speak up. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and I want you to recognize some things that we're going to emphasize today, and the powers or gates of hell will not conquer it. That's a pretty awesome thing to understand. Like, in other words, Jesus is like, I am going to build a church that hell itself can't conquer, and if you know, like, great, I get to be a part of that, that's kind of a reassuring thing to hear. Wouldn't you agree? Like, man, that's pretty awesome to know that I get to participate and be a part of a church that hell itself can't conquer, all right? Now, last Sunday we talked about these gates a little bit, all right? So, so if you want the, like the deeper version of that, you can go back and watch that message last week if you didn't see it. But today we're gonna tap on that a little bit because it directly rates, relates to the very next thing that Jesus says in verse 19. And this will be today's focus. And he said, let me, let me go back to 18. Can I just do that? It just sounds better when you read them together in my opinion. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, and Pastor Derek did a remarkable job of delineating the difference between Peter, a small rock, and Christ, this immovable rock, a couple of weeks ago. He said, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And then he says this, and I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is what we're going to dig into a, a little bit today. And so here's, here's where I want to start. Is I want you to recognize we're going to start in verse 18, and it's just going to set us up to get down into the nitty-gritty of verse 19 today, that Jesus said, I'm going to build this church, and we understand in the blueprint that this church is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. That's a big deal. Can I just start there? It's a big deal that matters. In other words, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. In other words, you're born of the virgin. You came to be the propitiation for my sin. Don't worry about that word. You'll learn what that means next year, okay? I'm working on it now, all right? But that's what you came to be. You died as the spotless lamb for my sin. You conquered death, hell, and the grave, you were risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the revelation. That's the rock. That's what Jesus builds his church on. And he said, in that understanding, that revelation, when we get that in our hearts, hell can't beat you. But he specifically says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And those gates specifically speak to and reference authorities in hell. So in this context, it would have been normal in a city for the people of authority to sit and reside at the gates. That's where the judges would have been. That's where like, the people of authority would have been at the gates. And so they would have recognized immediately when Jesus said gates that he's speaking about authority. So I just want you to kind of get this in, in your mind. This is my picture. Uh, do with it what you want. But it isn't just that Jesus said, hey, if, if Satan's little minions run after you, you can beat them up. He says, 
the very authority of heaven, like the highest, of, like the Navy SEALs of heaven can't beat you because I'm building a church like that. And like, that's just like nice to know. I'm like, oh man, that's, that's really good. So it isn't just some little minion. It's like Satan himself can't stand against the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then he says, verse 19, and I'm, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. How many of you guys remember when you were young and you would ask your parents for the keys? Can I get the keys? Can I get the keys? Come on. How many of you guys did that? How many of you guys, uh, you, had to add, you had to borrow mom or dad's car? Were you at in the room? I know I can't see you online, but you, you had to borrow mom and dad's car for a while. That was your thing. How many of you guys were spoiled? You had your own car at 16. Come on. You got it on your 15th birthday and stared at it in the driveway, learned how to do Come on. You're lucky. I, you're lucky. Some of us had to ask for the keys to the car, and it was something nice about having the keys, right? Because the keys, man, you had the power and the freedom, and you got to go where you wanted to go and do what you wanted to do to a measure so long as you didn't get caught. Amen. <laughs> but Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And that is an odd, kind of large, like what does that mean sentence to me? Some of your translations or some of the way that you might know it is he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth, right? That's probably New King James, ESD, that kind of stuff. That's, and th those are great. But, but the actual best like word is to forbid and to lose. And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys, the keys to the kingdom, and then you have the authority to forbid some things, and you have the authority to permit some things. And I went into a deep dive study because I thought, man, I don't want to mess this one up. And so, um, full disclaimer, I'm just a country boy from the South, okay? That's who I am. I attended high school here, and I'm like a C, hi, in the balcony, I see you waving. It's good to see you. Um, you know, I'm a C student at best, okay? That's just 2.6. I just needed to be able to play football. That was it. So just understand the intellect that I'm coming to you with. However, I do believe that God has given me an anointing to proclaim the gospel. And so I'm going to come to you with that too, okay? And so I did some study on the word of God, and I did some study on these keys. And here's what I could find is that there are two. There are two, and we're going to talk about the two keys that have been given to the church by Jesus himself, and they are the keys, number one, of doctrine, and they are the keys, number two, of discipline. Doctrine and discipline is what we're going to talk about today. And some of you guys are like, ah, oh, man, we should have went to brunch. And you're right, you should have. But now that you're here, <laughs> buckle up. We're going to go on a ride together, all right? I want to talk about this. I want to talk about doctrine and discipline. And what I want to do is I want to put some parameters around our understanding of those two words today. As you can imagine, most of the things that we preach about from the platform, we, we do it in a manner of time that fits into the window of a service when really it's like endless what you could teach on these subjects. In fact, last Sunday while we were, while we were in the service together, I'm, I'm like mid-flow just preaching. And by the way, I was saying things not planned, not in my notes. I felt like the Holy Spirit was just taking me here, taking me there, and I was just following in obedience. I hope it served you. It surprised me, okay? But I remember thinking in real time, like, this is not like a sermon. This is a series, man. Like, I could unpack this for weeks and weeks because of the depth and the complexities. You, you with me? Same would be true for today. So I'm going to contextualize doctrine and disciplines today as we talk about them so that when we have the discussion, you understand where we are with it. So, so here's what I want you to know, that one of the keys, the second one, is discipline, which actually literally references and means like discipline disciplinary action within the church. 
Like in the New Testament of our Bibles that we read and believe and follow, there are actually like disciplinary measures where people are invited out of the church. Like, hey, you, you shouldn't be here. You need to ride Get some things right, and then if you want to come back and all that stuff, and you see that all through Scripture. And I just want you to know that today we're not going to get into that side of discipline, but what we are going to get into is the discipline of walking in the gospel. Does that make sense? You with me? And when I say doctrine, I want to make sure that I contextualize doctrine so that we are all on the same page, because you could say doctrine, and I could say doctrine, and we could have very different definitions of what doctrine is. The doctrine that we are going to talk about today is the doctrine that teaches Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come to earth, everything I just described, to be the spotless lamb for the sacrifice of our sins. Come on, somebody. He went into the grave. Remember when I said this three minutes ago? Into the grave to conquer death and hell and take the keys back. He was risen from the dead. He is the Messiah. The doctrine that I'm talking about is the doctrine that Peter understood by revelation of the Holy Spirit. You are the Messiah. In other words, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are going to do everything that you say that you are going to do. And Jesus is like, you got something that can't be taught to you by men. You got something that the Spirit has to reveal. So when I say doctrine, I'm talking about that. Are you with me? Okay. And I want to unpack this a little bit because here is what he says. I'm going to give you these keys. And they are the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to recognize, and here's the correlation between gates and keys, is that Jesus essentially said, I'm going to give you authority. Like you have access. You can go places and do things. You can unlock stuff. I I don't know about you guys, but um, like when you walked in here this morning, most of you don't have keys. If you wanted to get into certain places, you couldn't get there. Why? Because you don't have the keys to go there. In other words, you don't have the authority to go there. Now, we have uh, amazing people uh, here on staff at the school that serve with us every single weekend, and they have the keys. And so we can say, Mr. Bob or Miss Irma, would you be willing to, we need to access this room, yep, and they will unlock the door because they have the keys. They have the authority to allow us in or to allow us out. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, let's, all right. Check your neighbor's pulse. Make sure they're with you. And so I want to I I unpack this a little bit. I'm going to do my very best to help us to better understand what this means. And then we're going to, like, turn the corner, and we're going de- to determine before we're done today, well, what does this mean to me, the follower of Christ Jesus? So what do these keys really mean to me as I walk in this journey of faith with Jesus? Because with those keys, we have the authority to forbid and to permit. And I did a lot of digging and a lot of research. Like, okay, God, like, help me. Because how many of you guys have ever prayed like this or been prayed for like this, where someone may lay their hands on you, which is biblical, and they will say, God, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would heal my friend. I bind all sickness in Jesus' name, and I just loose your healing power over their body, Father. I just, in the name above every name, Jesus' name, I just bind that sickness. I bind that ailment, I bu- whatever it is, and I bind it in Jesus' name, and I loose, Lord God, your best over them, blah, blah, blah. Have you ever heard or participated in a prayer like that? I want you to know that I do not think that is wrong at all. Pray that way. I, am, I encourage you to pray that way, man. Like, if it's in Scripture, man, let's, let's try to loose everything that we can, and let's try to bind everything that's 
that's against it, right? But, but I, want you, I want you to recognize some things because I think in the culture and the society and the world that we are living in today, there are people that are taking advantage of this and they don't even know it. So they're outside of the bounds of their authority and they don't even know that's what they're doing, but there is a true gospel that has to be stood for and the things within that gospel have to be loosed as much as possible and the things outside of that gospel should be forbid. Okay, okay, so let's let's just go to Galatians real fast because I wanna show you something in Galatians chapter one. Here's the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church, okay, like us. He's talking to a group of people that assemble in a city called Galatia, and he says this. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to, and I want you to recognize what he says, you're turning to a different gospel. And I love how he says, which is really no gospel at all. The gospel means good news. And I don't know if you know this, but it's really good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. That is good news, okay? And so he says, verse 7, it's really no gospel at all, but evidently some people are, uh, are, are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And in this culture that we live in right now, That is pervasively happening all around us all of the time. And I know that you think that it just started, but it's been happening since the beginning. Since man was created and then fell to sin, the perversion of God's best for them has been at play. And so here's what the Apostle Paul says, that there are perversions of that gospel. And then I love what he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's, what is that word? Curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is really heavy. I don't expect a lot of amens here. But I want to make sure that we understand what the Bible has to say. And the Bible says that if we get outside of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that is dangerous. And we are are at a place where we're under the curse of God because there is only one truth. Now, I'm reading, I just finished a book, and I'm about halfway through a second book, and I've been, I've been sending myself, uh, which is mostly how I educate myself, just through self-study of things, and I feel like the Spirit of God has led me into uh, doing some particular study on, on something called apologetics. Some of you know what that means, and some of you don't, don't worry about it if you don't. But it's basically how to better understand our faith and how to better defend our faith. Because I want to make sure that you understand something, that faith isn't blind, it should be informed and educated. And so what I'm, what I'm, what I'm reading is something that I want to better understand how, how, I, how I can be sure and certain that the faith that I have in Jesus Christ as my Savior is truth. I don't want to be naive or ignorant, right? Because here's the thing. There is, without getting into, lost in my other study here, there is, if something is true 
That means that anything that opposes that is false. That's a good premise. If there is a truth, then anything that opposes that truth is false. And I would like to declare that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. Is true. And I don't want to believe that just because I grew up around the church, and I did. I've been in church my entire life, and I tell people all the time I'm so blessed and I'm so thankful because I did not grow up around religious people. I grew up around godly people. And there's a defining difference there, right? Religion, I'm not saying religion's bad, whatever, if it's the gospel, but it's dangerous because it tends to lean more toward like man's thoughts versus like the Bible, which is truth. But I had this privilege to grow up around people that were just truly godly. So, so I watch people suffer for the, for the kingdom sometimes and be selfless and generous. And I remember going through difficult seasons as a child with our family and just watching the faithfulness of my mom who would just stay leaned into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we stood and anchored ourselves to that more than anything else. I remember our church. I've been a part of this church for like 24 years. And I remember our church going through seasons where they were, there was difficulty. And I remember watching Pastor Tom anchor to the faithfulness to the Lord. And regardless of popular opinion and pushback and criticism, and the things that come sometimes in the life of ministry, just leaning into who the Father was and the truth of the gospel and just being faithful to the calling and serving those people. I got to see godly people live their faith like in real, like in real life. And so what it did for me is it taught me that like, this is like a thing, it's not a religion and it's genuine and real and I just personally want to better understand how when people have different thoughts that oppose the gospel or in, my, or, or in the Bible's language and now mine, pervert the gospel, that I can make a strong and compelling case for truth. And so when we get into the context of keys, we have authority and that's a powerful thing. And so I did my very best, you ready? I just did my very best to create a picture that I hope we all can understand so that we can better understand how these keys work in the life of the disciple of Christ, you and me, if your faith is in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing, I want you to imagine a courtroom and I want you to imagine a judge. Now the judge is going to sit in a place of authority and there will be a case that is presented to that judge. And the judge, because of the authority that he's been given, gets to make judgment on what happens as a result of that case. And so because the judge has given that key, when he makes his determination based on how everything shakes out, he gets to decide maybe this person will only pay a fine. I've made my judgment, I've heard the case, and, the, and my decision is that you will pay a fine. Well, the next case comes into the courtroom and perhaps the judge decides in that case that you will pay a fine, you will serve a little time in jail, and when you come out of jail, you're gonna be on probation because your crime was a little different, it was a little more complex, it was a little bit, uh, little bit harsher, and so my judgment is just a little bit harsher. And so therefore, I will make judgment for you and then boom, and when the gavel slams, guess what happens? One person pays a fine, the other person goes to jail, and et cetera, et cetera. The reason that the judge can do that is because he's been given keys. You have the authority to make judgment on this case or any case presented before you. What the judge cannot do is make the law. 
He did not make the law. He just simply made judgment on the law. So when the case comes before the judge, it's not that the judge decides then, well, is that okay or not? Or, you know what? Let's change the law. I like you. You're a nice guy, and I think stealing stuff's okay. So the law says you can steal. You're free to go, sir. He cannot do that. Now, if he was to do that, he would probably dis be disbarred or whatever. Is that right? Disbarred? Would that be the right term? Yeah, I'm getting a nod from somebody that looks smart. Thanks. <laughs> he probably wouldn't stay a judge very long. So, so he didn't make the law, he makes judgment on the law. And once he makes his decision through the authority given to him, the judicial system makes that happen. Someone else will figure out how to get the guy in jail, someone else will figure out probation, someone else will do all that because there's a judicial system at play. Now, I want to relate that as best I can back to the kingdom because here is... Man, I prepared as best I could, but just roll with me, all right? Here's where it gets dangerous. I think that people that pervert the true gospel of Christ have it misunderstood. Now, they don't know this, but instead of taking the authority given to them by Christ to make judgment within the law, they're trying to change the law. And that's the danger, and that's the problem, and not in your authority to do so. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. He was, he was put in charge of Potiphar's house, so Joseph would have been given the keys. Joseph would have had access to everything in Potiphar's house, and he could make things happen and not happen, and whatever he would permit happened, and whatever he would forbid didn't happen. But Joseph didn't put on an extra wing. He didn't build extra space. He couldn't change the structure. He just had authority within it. Is that making sense? And the, and the gospel gives us order and gives us structure. And the gospel says that Jesus is the only way to access the Father. Jesus is the only hope for your eternity. It really is Jesus, and it is nothing else. And the perversion of that gospel would say, well, there's a lot of ways to access the Father. Oh, well, you know, God is bigger than that, and you can call him Allah, and you can call him God, and you can call him this, and you can call him that, and I'm just, I'm just gonna boldly declare, and I'm sorry if you leave the church for it, whatever, that's not the gospel. That's not true. And so when we say things like this, we're not being the judge with the authority to forbid or permit within the boundaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're trying to manipulate the law and change the law. And here's the problem. You can't do that. So, so you and I, we have the power to make decisions outside of the law, but we don't have the authority. So you can choose to live any way you want to. You have the power to do it, man. That's the beauty of the choice that God has given all of us. So you don't want to live within the confines of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That you have the power to do that. Here's the problem. You don't, have the, you don't have the authority to do that. But Jesus has given us authority within his kingdom to forbid some things. He's given us the power to permit some things. Am I making sense? So anything, anything that is in line with the scripture, anything that's in line with the word of God. We have the, the authority as disciples of Jesus Christ to permit that stuff. Now let's go, let's do that. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should forbid anything that opposes the truth because there's only one truth and anything that would oppose it is false. I hope I'm helping you. So, so let's turn the corner. You ready? Let's, let's make it practical. I'm doing okay. Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're gonna read verses 16 and 17. Here's what the Bible says, Timothy writing again to, to, a, to a young pastor. He says, 
all scripture is inspired by God. Let's just start there. All scripture is inspired by God. And it is useful, and I love this, to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. What does it do? It corrects us. It teaches us. It gives us everything for preparation. And it equips us to do every good work. And what I want to point back to is the word of the living God is what we've been given keys to. So I believe it is the responsibility of us as disciples of Jesus Christ to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is up to us to do the things that we need to do to make sure that the truth of the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed and that anything that opposes that is forbidden. Amen. I thought I'd get a little bit more support, but I'm going to preach anyway. So I'm going to give us three things that I think that we should do because I want us as followers of Jesus Christ, let me just make it very personal, me, I would like me, I would like me to fully understand the authority that I've been given by Christ. So I want you to see yourself like the judge. I don't make the law. God set the standards. God made the law. But because I've been given keys to the kingdom, I have the ability to loose and set free and permit everything that the gospel, the law, the word of the Lord has to say. So every benefit in here we have access to, but also every correction in here we should heed to. Amen. I know that's hard, and I know it isn't easy because it always hurts a little bit, but that's what we should do. And anything that would oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ, anything that would oppose the true living word, the 66 canonized books in this Bible, we should forbid. And anything that's out there that's trying to be a law changer, we're the judges. We're the ones that sit in the place of authority and say, no, man, we forbid that. That ain't going to work here. That ain't going to work in my life. That's not going to work around here. I'm going to forbid that. I will permit everything that the word of God has to say into my life. So in order to do that, in order to do that, I think three things matter. Number one, I think it's our responsibility to study God's word. Like study it. I remember, I was about to say 100 years ago, but you're not that old, Pastor Tom, but I remember years ago when you were preaching. <laughs> and he said, he said, he quoted a scripture, study to show thyself approved, right out of the King James. Study to show thyself approved. I don't know the reference. You can Google it. But there's, there's something powerful about studying God's word. Reading it is a good thing. You should. I, th I think it's really smart. But to actually study God's word and to dig into God's word, to better understand the word of God is important to the life of the disciple. In fact, I think Jesus would say, you're going to follow me, then you got to do what I say, right? In fact, he said that. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Now, there's two ways to hear that. You can hear it like this. You can hear, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You can hear it like that, or you can hear it in the tone that I think Jesus actually said it in. If you love me, you'll do what I say. Yeah, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Because when you love people, it's easy to do for them, isn't it? It's easy to do for your kids because you love them. It's easy to do for your wife because you love her. It's easy to do for your good friend because you love them. But that tyrant boss, 
It's not easy to do it, right? But God's not a tyrant, man. He's a loving father. Come on, somebody. And I just think it's important. Listen to me, disciple of Jesus. If, like, put yourself there if that's you. I think it's important that we actually learn to study the word of God so that the word of God gets deposited inside of us. King David said, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what it says. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. It is imperative, follower of Jesus, that you get comfortable to study God's word. One of my favorite parts about being a pastor is the privilege to study. Even for this very message I was digging. I'm cross-referencing scripture against scripture. I'm looking at this. This is making me think of that. I'm writing down notes. I'm reading commentaries. I'm watching sermons. I'm listening to people speak. I'm digging into different books. I'm trying to study. Like, God, I want to better understand your word. I don't want to just get up there and talk about it because that's powerless. I actually want to have a deep understanding of what your word is trying to say so that I can best articulate it to our family and so that I can apply it to my own life and I can walk with you. I want to follow your blueprint. I want to see my life succeed because I'm going to be to you. I don't want to, listen, I don't, I do want to, but I don't need to. And this is one of those things that we have to wrestle with, but like, who cares if you're popular or not? Who cares? I know it matters a lot in middle school. I get it and all that kind of stuff, but we carry that same immaturity sometimes into adulthood and we will just say things and believe things and do things just so we don't get hate from the haters that don't really care about us anyway. What we need to do is stand for truth and do it and like do it in a way that's like, look, I, I'm stable here because I study this. Like the word of God is in me. And so I live this stuff out loud. The second thing that I think that we should do is proclaim God's word. To just proclaim it. 2 Timothy 4, we'll read two verses. Preach the word of God. And I know that makes some of you nervous. You're like, whew, I'm off the hook because I ain't no preacher. It literally translates to proclaim, to herald or proclaim this word. And we could do that. We can do that with our lifestyle. We can do that with our words. We, like there's so many ways that we could proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we should preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Watch what the Bible says. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage. Come on, somebody. Like it's all of those things. It's all of those things. Do, do those things. Encourage your people with good teaching. Teach the gospel. For a time is coming. Come on and tell me if this doesn't sound like the time we're living in. When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desire and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. The world needs to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to every single one of life's problems. The simple gospel. I'm going through a divorce. What are you talking about? The gospel of Jesus Christ, man. The gospel of Jesus Christ. To walk in the blueprint that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew chapter 16. To actually be the kinds of people that won't make it about us, but will make it about the Father that we are following. 
and we will make it about the proclamation of the truth, and we will not allow it to be perverted. And so we will actually allow people to have voices into our lives, pull us aside and say, let's talk about something. I just see something in you. I just want to talk about it. Or to pull you aside and say, you are crushing it, man. You're doing so good. And I'm a natural encourager, I've found. Um, It's just something that I love to do. And so one of my favorite things to do is get around people because typically you are hardest on you. And there's just people sometimes that I'll just get around them and they'll just be like, I don't know, man. I I don't even know, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, like you're doing so awesome. Do you recognize the steps that you have taken? Maybe you had a bad day. All right, okay, everybody has a bad day, but like, look at the last three months. Are you kidding me? Look at, remember when you were like saying this and doing that? Like, think about that and like, look at you now. Man, it's the best. Sometimes people just need to be reminded. Sometimes they just need life spoken into them. That keep going. Man, God's full of grace and mercy and he loves you and he's got you on a journey. Come on, let's do this. And then sometimes we need to love people enough to just say, I love you so much. I'm gonna say this and it ain't gonna feel good but it's because I love you, and I'm committed to you, and I'm in this with you. Come on, somebody, and that leads me, good, good segue, to number three that I believe is imperative that the disciple of Jesus defend God's word. Defend it. Because it is truth. It does matter, and it does need defense. Because from the very beginning of time, the very first thing that we see when the serpent slithers into that garden and starts having communication with Adam and Eve, the very first thing he questions is the word of God. We need to defend it. 1 Peter 3.15, watch what it says. In your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make what? A A defense. To anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. I love that so much. Because of Jesus, we have hope. But can we please, before we close today, pay attention to the second half of that sentence? Because he says, yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Can I just, can I pastor us for a few moments as we close today? There's nothing, in my opinion, more appalling or heartbreaking than a self-righteous heart. I think it's the easiest temptation for us to fall into. In fact, me even pushing back on this almost makes me question, are you being (laughs) self-righteous? But defending the word of God isn't angry. It doesn't have to be loud. It definitely isn't ugly. And, and so I would love, like, I say this sometimes, like, I, I'm not responsible for, like, the church, but I will give an account to God for our church. And so I would love to just pastor our church. Let's don't be followers of Jesus that act like we're better than anybody. Period. Like that, it, it just, it don't work, man. It don't work. I, let's see if it's still here. Boy, the dolphins are getting railroaded right now. Um, so, I, so I'm a, 
uh, I'm an external processor. So oftentimes, like my, I don't even know what I'm thinking until I'm saying it out loud. I got incredible people around me. Like I had the best, man, I love who I get to work with every day. And I got people around me, they'll do things like, well, you said this, but I, it sounds like what you're saying is this. And so I just lay down in the chair and just tell them how that makes me feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank you for being my psychologist. This is so helpful. <laughs> so I, I have uh, some pastors. I, I, I'm connected to pastors all over the country. And, uh, and I have a few that I'm very specific. And I try to just, they, they kind of, I just try to pour into them. They'll ask me questions and so forth. Anyway, there's a little text conversation going on between me and another pastor, and we were talking about a thing. And uh, Anyway, and in response, I, I text something and hit send, and when I sent it, I thought, man, like, man, I didn't even know that was in there, but I mean, I ain't trying to toot my own horn, but I said, that was good, right? I'm not, I don't mean that arrogantly at all, but I just thought, man, I feel like that was like from the Holy Spirit. I'm not that smart. I feel like the Spirit of God, though, he does things like that for all of us, right? And so... I said this, legalism takes us nowhere, serves no one, and separates everyone. And the worst thing that we can be, the worst thing that we can be is self-righteous religious people that act like we're better than people. Because we aren't. We, we just happen to know the hope. We happen to have the connection to the truth the author of life. We, we've been blessed enough to be in a relationship with Jesus and he's transforming us from the inside out. And so when we defend the gospel, we don't need to defend it with tone and attitude and self-righteousness and anger because nobody's listening to that. The way that we should defend the truth is just with our lifestyle and our kindness and courtesies and compassions toward people that are in a place we used to be, right? And it's so easy, man, to get that self-righteous thing and like when you get as holy as me, shut up, man. No, nobody want to hear that nonsense. They're nobody. They don't want to hear it. What, what they want to hear is that, man, what God did for me, God will do for you. Man, the same transformation that I'm experiencing, he wants you to experience. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. The goodness. It's not the anger of the church. So I just believe that the keys of doctrine, there, there is a true doctrine, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is nothing else, Church on the Rock, that is true other than that. So anything that opposes the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we should forbid. In our own lives, in our groups, in our church at large, our teams, whatever, our workplaces, everywhere we can, we should forbid those things. And everything that the word of God is for, we should permit and release that out into those around us. We should have the discipline the discipline to walk inside the boundaries 
of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should have the discipline to allow the word of God to not only tell us what is true, but expose to us what is wrong. We should let it correct us when we need it. We should let it teach us always. We should let it encourage us. We should let it prepare us. We should let it equip us. We should study the book of the law so that we're successful in all that we do. We should proclaim God's word and we should, we should, we should release good teaching. We should be the kind of people that promote and, and, and push the truth and then we should be willing to make a defense for the hope that we have had to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is what saves. It is the truth in anything that opposes it is false. And the only way we'll know the truth is to study the truth. So as we close, I'd love uh, every head bowed, every eye closed if you would for a moment. I want to give an invitation. Let's stand, if you would, all across the, the room, if you don't mind. I, I want to give an invitation, though. I'll, I'll admit that all, all of this message, I've really been talking to those of us who are already in a relationship with Jesus. Very specific, really, to the church. But I have a belief, and my belief is this, that regardless of a Sunday regardless of the communicator and regardless of the topic that the power of the spirit of the living God can transform people's hearts and lives so, so my prayer is that if, if you're here today maybe you're tuning in online live or you're watching a playback or whatever it is and you've listened to the duration of this message and maybe you're skeptical about Christianity maybe you're not sure about faith in Jesus whatever but you listen to the whole thing because something has got you intrigued enough to lend your ear, like you're considering it, I always pray that those people in these moments allow the, the revelation of who Jesus is to be revealed to them the way it was Peter. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And so if that's you, I just want to give you the opportunity to step into a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for you, we always take a few moments and give that invitation to you. And here's what we ask of you. We simply ask that you make a decision right where you are. I'm going to ask that you repeat a very simple prayer after me. And I, and I like to say the pr this prayer is not special at all. What matters is what's actually happening inside your heart. That is supernatural. This prayer is just a guide. I'm just gonna follow a simple guide. Because the Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And that's the idea of this prayer. So if that's you, I'd love you to just say this prayer with me wherever you are. In church, I'd love for everybody in the room to say it out loud so that those saying it for the first time can say it with confidence and with boldness. This moment matters for them. And here's our prayer. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I give you my life, all of it. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. All that I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can we celebrate those who made that decision? Congratulations, wherever you might be.